So, you know, it's a little different. Uh, typically, the way that the Lord stirs things in me um, is He always gives me a scripture, typically. Like, there's a verse that really just kind of, uh, I don't know how to explain it. The only way I know how to even kind of put it into words is people ask me sometimes, well, how do you determine what you preach and what you don't? And, um, you know, a lot of times it, I would describe it as a burden, like something kind of rests on me. And it just kind of gets heavy on my heart. And so I'll pray about it and the Lord starts sharing some things with me. And this was kind of that way, but a little different just in the fact of um, typically it's a verse that just, you know, and that just kind of resonates in my heart. And so, but in this particular one, he didn't give me a single verse. Why? Because there are miracles in the Bible from literally Genesis 1-1 to Revelations 22. And so uh, that's part of it, I believe. But he really gave me the title, uh, these words, the God of miracles. And, uh, you know, and that's the thing that we have to realize. And it's so easy sometimes, I think, for us to forget how incredible God is and, uh, and really how He is unlimited. Now, you know, and even to the point of it, it goes back to what I was sharing a few minutes ago uh, as we were uh, concluding worship there, is that so many times we can make like miracles something that we have to do or something that we can create. And the truth is, is that if God shows up, that's all that's required. It has really nothing to do with us. As a matter of fact, many of the miracles that I've experienced in my life, I was completely unaware that God was working when it happened. And it was just, bam! Now, you know, many times I would know it when it happened, but in the moment. But it's not like I had been necessarily just praying and believing, you know, in a certain... There's always a degree of that. But if we're not careful, we can make even God moving for us and on our behalf... Something that we're going to create. Like, God, I'm going to force you to do something. How many of you realize we can't force God to do anything? No, I mean, you know, there's an old saying that says, show God your plans and he'll laugh. You know, and there's a degree of that. And, you know, and God is not mysterious in the fact of, well, we don't know if he'll heal us or if he won't. Or we don't. What did he say in the word? He said God's desire was that all would be healed and walk in health. So we know God's will. God is not some cosmic force that we can't understand. But there are things that we can't control with him either. Specifically in this area when we're talking about miracles. And yet throughout scripture from cover to cover, God is continually doing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. Which tells me this. God is a God of miracles. God does supernatural things. For us and in our lives. And so regardless of what may be going on in your life, in your heart, in your world right now. The thing is, is that if we'll just stay focused on the Lord, remembering what? That He can do anything. That miracles are nothing for Him. What we think to be impossible. It's nothing for God. Our greatest challenge our, our greatest resistance, our greatest opposition, even from the... It's nothing for the Lord. You know, and so I want to share some things with you tonight and really just kind of set the table for uh, what I believe and where I believe we're headed. But you can turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. And, uh, you know, I was tempted to start in a lot of different places and I was asking the Lord and, you know, it's always um, interesting to me to see how the Lord leads me and drops things in my heart. And uh, But uh, there was a, a specific phrase here in Acts chapter 3 that really came to my heart. And uh, so we're just going to read a, a passage of Scripture here. We're going to read a couple of verses. It's a fairly familiar passage of Scripture. But um, here in Acts chapter 3 it says that Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon 
starting in verse 1, to take part in a 3 o'clock prayer service. So they're headed to church to go pray. It says, as they approached the temple, a man lame from birth uh, was being carried in. It says, each day he was uh, put beside the temple uh, gate, the one called the beautiful gate, so that uh, he could beg from the people going into the temple. So here's a man who's lame from birth. He's never walked, never stood. Feet and legs have never functioned. And it says here that they laid him down every day. For what? Because he was a beggar. Because he couldn't do anything. So that was his normal day to day. Somebody carried him and put him there every day. It says in verse 3, when Peter and John uh, were about to enter the church or the, the temple, it says he asked for some money because he's a beggar. That's what beggars do, right? Like alms. That's right. That's, they, they beg for money. That's what they do. That's why we call them beggars. Verse 4, it says that Peter and John uh, looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. It says the lame man looked up eager, expecting some money. You know, if you were walking by somebody who was begging for money and you said, hey, look at me. Do you think they're expecting something from you? Well, of course they are. But what Peter and John had was not what the man was looking for, but it was what the man needed. See, sometimes I think that we ask God for the wrong things. We ask God for what we think we need, and God gives us what we really need. You know, I don't want to get off on that, but... Anyhow, in verse 5, it says that the lame man looked at them eagerly expecting to get some money. And Peter responds to him and says, look, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Get up and walk. It says, then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. Now, this translation kind of makes it wimpyish, but other translations say that Peter grabbed him by a firm grasp and jerked him to his feet. So it wasn't like, you know, oh, let me help you, like slowly up. Like, I mean, Peter said, I said, get up and you get the picture. So it says that Peter grabs him by the hand and gets him up. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Now, here's something interesting about this. In case you're not aware, that's a miracle that just happened. A man who has never walked. A man who has never stood. Now think about this. We, well, I mean, we can just take it from what the scripture said. Did this man's faith produce a miracle? No, because the man wasn't looking for healing. He was looking for lunch, right? I mean, that's really what the man's faith was not even operative or active at all. And yet he got to be the beneficiary of a miracle. Because, and it says that as Peter took a step of faith and says, look, I don't have anything but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And it says, and as the man got up, his feet and his ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. Now think about it. It's actually a double miracle happening here at the same time. Why? Because it's one thing for a man, you know, if we said, hey, the man's leg is broke and he got healed. That's one thing. This was a grown man who had never stood on his own two feet, which means his muscles couldn't even support his weight. I mean, think about like if you break a bone, they put it in a cast and think about what your muscle looks like in, you know, six to eight weeks. Atrophy sets in and it's like, oh my gosh, right? Well, this man had never supported his own weight. And so it's really a double miracle. Not only was that man able to stand, but there was also supernatural strength that came into his legs in that very moment. 
So something supernatural happens in this moment. It says the man jumps up in verse 8 and stood on his feet and began to walk. Have you ever seen somebody walk for the, like maybe they had like a, a, um, an accident or something. They have to go learn to walk again. This man was able to just start walking. There was none of this like wobbly need, figure it out, like can I make it? He just started walking. He had never walked. I mean, I can remember when Max was learning to walk, he fell a lot, fell on his butt and would cry and get mad and, you know, fall on his face, fall over sideways, fall over backwards. He didn't, I mean, you think about it, even this man's stability. That part of his body never needed to function. He had never stood. And yet all of a sudden, all of these miracles are happening. In a moment, not only is this man uh, healed, he's able to walk, he's able to jump. He's, I mean, it takes muscle to jump. When I was younger and in a little bit better shape, I could jump higher than I can now. Why? Because my muscles were in better shape. Well, yet here's this man and he's jumping and praising God. And it says that he went into the temple with him. Now I'm going to skip forward a little bit because I'm going to tell you what's happening. is right on the heels of this miracle, Peter begins to preach the gospel. And so, obviously, when this miracle happens, it gets some attention. A crowd forms. Why? Because everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew what had been going on. Everybody, I mean, he was, he was the beggar at the gate. I mean, I would venture to say people probably thought, well, I'm going to keep my extra change, and tomorrow when I go by that guy, I'm going to throw him a few coins. Because he was there all the time. So everybody know, knows this guy's story. Everybody knows this guy's history. And yet we see here, and, and so what happens, let me give you the, the back story, is that, um, so Peter gets up and starts preaching, and as he is preaching... The religious elites show up. And now they want to know. How did this happen? Who did what? Who said what? what? And so they arrest them. <laughs> they, they say, look, we don't have time today. It's late in the day and we want to go home. But we're going to lock you up. We're going to put you in jail. So tomorrow we can sort this thing out. Because we want to know what happened. You know, now, and even in this, now I will say this, is that in Peter's short sermon... I've never had a sermon that was this good, apparently. But in verse 4 of chapter 4, it says that many of the people who heard the message that uh, Peter had uh, preached believed it so that the number of men who believed now um, totaled about 5,000 people. As a result of this miracle, 5,000 people came to faith and trust in Christ. That's impressive. Yeah, not women, men. 5,000 men. So we don't actually know the full number. That was just the men. In a moment. Why? Because something miraculous happened. You know, and there's so many things about... Because here's the thing, and even... uh, Well, let's keep going. In verse 7 of chapter 4, it says that the religious leaders, they brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power or in whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said, Rulers and elders of of our people... Are we being questioned today because of a good deed that we've done for a crippled man? He says, do you want to know how he was healed? He said, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus, uh, the Nazarene, the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Now, verse 6 in the Amplified says this, and I'll read it to you. It talks about, um, well, this is actually... Let me see. No, it's in chapter 3, where um, Peter looks at the man and says, you know, in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And, and really it says, in the name, the authority, and the power. 
That's really what all that means. When you're talking about the name of Jesus, that's the authority and the power of Jesus. When we're declaring the name of Jesus over our circumstances, over our situations, over our physical bodies, over our finances, over our families, over our relationships, when we begin to declare the name of Jesus, it's not just a name. The Bible says it's the name above all names. It's the name that holds all authority in heaven and in earth. It's the, it, it's the power of God. That, that we enact by just declaring the name of Jesus over our circumstances. I mean, sometimes the best prayer isn't a long prayer. Sometimes it's just Jesus. It doesn't take anything more than that. It takes a belief that in who Jesus is and calling on that name. There is power in the name of Jesus. Even to the point that I would say there are, there's enough power in that name that it will produce miracles. That just at the name of Jesus... Demons will flee. Bodies will be healed. Bonds will be broken at the name of Jesus. And it's powerful. And even as we're looking at this and and talking about uh, really miracles and why have I been praying and asking the Lord to let me preach this because I believe that we will step into a a day and a time where this is going to become the norm in our church. Where... Somebody could actually bring somebody who's, who's crippled and we could watch them walk right down that center aisle. Amen. Now you're like, I don't know if I believe that. That's fine. I'm going to keep praying for it. Why? Because I see it in Scripture. I want to see blind eyes open. I want to see people who the enemy has absolutely just ruined and overtaken their life. And watch them come in here and get touched by the power of God. Or they walk out completely different. You're like, oh, well, I just don't know if that can happen. Have you read the Bible lately? Because there are miracles from cover to cover. And I say that somewhat jokingly, but, I, but there is a, a serious side to it as well. I mean, Jesus encountered what a man called, and his name was the Madman of Gadara. It says he was filled with demons. One encounter with Jesus, and the Bible says that he was, because clo- he ran around butt naked in a graveyard... And they tried to corral him as much as they could, and they couldn't do it. And yet, one encounter with Jesus. Now, here's one of the most fascinating things to me about that whole story. Even though that man was completely overwhelmed by the work of the devil, all of hell couldn't keep that man from the feet of Jesus. That man was still able to run to the feet of Jesus and to receive deliverance. I mean, you're talking about me, even Jesus says, hey, what's your name? He's not talking to the man, he's actually talking to the spirits. He says, oh, we're legion, for we are many. It's like, hey, it ain't just one of us, I got a lot of friends in here. Now, I'm not going to give you all the details of the story, but this man was in real trouble. And Jesus showed up, and everything changed. In one moment, he was a lunatic. Cutting himself, running around naked and acting a fool and do, just totally out of his mind. And then another moment, the Bible says that he was clothed, seated and in his right mind. Yeah. One encounter with Jesus. One encounter. That's why I say all it takes is for God to show up. Yeah. He didn't have to do anything. God shows up and miracles can just begin to happen. The supernatural power of God will just begin to work. 
Why? Because it's just who he is. God, you know, let me give you an example of this that, that we'll all understand. Is that God can't help but love. And we all understand God is love. He can't do anything but love. Well, God can't not do miracles. It's just who he is. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we seek. And so even as we're talking about this, and, and, and I purposely started with Peter and John here. Why? Because it's not Jesus doing the miraculous. Because it's one thing to look at Jesus and you're like, yeah, but he's the Messiah. He's Christ. He's like the Savior. Of course he did those things. Well, How many of you know that Peter's not the shining example of number one uh, disciple? I mean, he was kind of the loose cannon of the bunch. He was the one who, you know, and yet, and I, I love this part of Peter's story. He's the one who stood up on the day of Pentecost. He's the one who, you know, sees this miraculous um, moment happen and it happened in this guy's life. And you could argue, outside of Judas, only because of what Judas had done, that Peter was the biggest screw-up. He was definitely the most consistent screw-up. Peter gets that for sure on the disciple scale. That gives me good news. That should be good news to you because it says, hey, it's not about how many times I've failed, but it does matter how many times I get up. And as long as I don't quit, God doesn't quit. Amen. God, and truthfully, even if we quit, God never quits. You know, and so even when we're talking about these things, I want you to understand, it's not just about, well, you can do that because you're a pastor. Well, because you're called to the ministry and you're, no, you're anointed and you've got this, hey, here's the deal. You're gifted, you're anointed too. It's not reserved for me and it's not reserved for a select few or for Brother Egan because he's a missionary in Africa. And you know, they got to have more power in Africa than we do here in America. Our demons are just a little more subvertive here. They're a little bit more quiet, a little more subtle, not so in your face. But we have them here just as bad. And I could actually argue almost maybe even worse. They've just learned how to... And we, as a nation, have blinded our eyes to it. It's not reserved for a select few. God will do a miracle through anybody who believes that it's possible. That's, you say, well, how, how do I bring that about? Walk close with the Lord. It's not a secret. I mean, Jesus himself, the Messiah, said this. I can do nothing apart from my Father. Well, if Jesus couldn't do it without his Father, then we can't either. So if Jesus had to be close to the Father to do the powerful things that he did, guess what? We have to walk in close proximity to the Father in our relationship for what? For the power to be there. That's all it takes. So I want to share with you a few things here tonight in these next few minutes. About this subject and about the topic. I'm just, like I said, I'm just going to give you uh, a few things and just share some things with you that have been in my heart about this. But um, before we kind of get too far in, I want to give you a definition for what a miracle is. Now, this isn't, uh, you know, a biblical definition. This is actually just from the dictionary. I just went and looked up the word miracle. And it says, an effect or an extraordinary event in the physical world that, per- that surpasses all human Uh, are all known human or natural powers and is ascribed to a supernatural cause. Now, I've shared this before, and I like this definition. Is that a miracle is this? It's a violation of natural law. It's a violation of natural law. 
A man who has never stood should not be able to stand. It's just a fact. As we grow and as we get older and as our body develops, we're able to do things that we weren't, I mean, we weren't born walking. We weren't born talking, right? I mean, all of us have different skill sets and things that we've learned through experience, through time, through whatever it may be. And yet it's a complete violation of all natural law for a man who has never stood to stand and then start walking. He should have to learn and develop his muscles so that he can even step. He's going to have to learn even for his brain to tell his legs to move. And yet it's a complete violation. This man just stood up, starts jumping, shouting, running, walking. And it created a scene. And yet we serve a God who still does miracles. God didn't stop doing miracles because Jesus rose from the grave. That's a miracle in and of itself. But it didn't stop there. This is after that moment in Acts 4. And miracles are still happening. And they happen throughout Scripture. I mean, we see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. It's one of the most consistent things that we see throughout Scripture. Is God moving miraculously. Now, this is the way I would say this is that... And part of what I really believe about miracles is that... Is that miracles confirm the reality that God is alive. That he is real. That it's not just some something that we... It's not just a belief system. The difference between us and every other belief system is we actually have fruit that actually confirms what we believe. We have documented multiple times. Well, hey, well, you know, Brother Egan was sharing about a lady this past weekend. When he was here. Prayed for a lady. Didn't know anything about it. But she was riddled with cancer. She's going to, op- to operate, get operated on the next day to remove tumors. They went in to do the surgery, get her all prepped up. She's asleep, laying on the table. Surgeon walks in and says, "I can't do this. I need to get an extra. I need to get a second X-ray." And they're all thinking, "You just got one. She's right here. She's ready. Like, let's do." Th-. And he said, "I can't do it." He said, "I want another X-ray." They go an X-ray, and all the tumors are gone. That's a miracle. That's an undeniable... Why? Here's x-ray one. Here's x-ray two. Tumors? No tumors. I mean, that's an undeniable act. I mean, if I went and got x-rays today of my knees, I would have two different x-rays. I've shared that many times, but, uh, you know, long story short, I was told in college that I'd have reconstructive surgery by the time I was 24. I'm 37. I don't have knee problems. And I was in extreme pain. And I can run and play and do whatever I want to do. And I've done all kinds of stuff that I probably shouldn't have. According to the doctors. (laughs) Never any pain. A miracle happened. I'm not denying. I'm not belittling medical professionals. I'm not belittling anything about what they do. God uses doctors. I'm all for doctors. I mean, heck, if for nothing else, I need to know what I'm believing for. Let me go find out what's going on. But we see that, and there's so many testimonies. How many of you would say you have a testimony that God worked in your life in one way or another that you would say, I believe that was a miracle? Several of you. 
mean, you know, just supernaturally God does something and God works. See, it confirms that he is God and God alone. Now, I'm going to give you an example of this here in a few moments. But, you know, one of the things, that, and, it's, and we see this here in Acts 4, and I just want to mention this. Is that when you see miracles and the supernatural begin to happen. I've heard uh, many people say this, especially um, missionaries, is that, that signs and wonders, miracles. They call it the dinner bell to salvation. Why? Because miracles get people's attention. It's undeniable. I know that man and I know he can't walk and that dude just ran by me. And I know that's impossible. You know, the man that Brother Egan was talking about, I don't know why I'm talking about all these, but he was sharing about this, this guy named Don. I may remember the story from Sunday night. Well, I know Don. I actually grew up in his home. His son was one of my best friends growing up. And he was a, he was a vet, very successful, you know, in great shape, great golfer, all this stuff. One day he was playing golf is actually how he got hurt. And he went from that into back surgery after 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 back surgery. Brother Egan talked about it. He was, and I remember I was in the service. I remember Brother Egan just walked by him, kind of like, you know, it'd be kind of like if I walked by Joey. And all he did was he walked to him, never even looked at him. He did this. And he just stood there and talked for a minute. Then went about his business. When he got up, he was completely healed. Now, we're talking about years and years and years of pain, of excruciating pain. To the point that one day, and this was after he had been healed, that he went in to see a doctor to kind of get it all confirmed. He's sitting on the little table, you know, the little stupid little tables you go into the doctor's office, they're always freezing cold. And, um, you know, and he's sitting on it. The doctor comes in and asks him, he said, how'd you get in this room? He said, I walked. And he said, no, you didn't. He says, it is physically impossible that you can walk. And the doctor says, I don't believe you. He jumped off the table and said, do you believe me now? And he said, you're missing a ligament in your leg that they took out. That should not allow your knee to bend. He said, it's medically impossible for you to walk. How do you explain that? But God. And that's somebody that I know personally. That's not just some story. I mean, I tell you that because I can actually confirm his story from Sunday night. I know it very well. As a matter of fact, I just ran into his son because they have a little place up close to Camden two days ago. On Monday, I ran into him. One of my best friends growing up. I didn't even know he was here. Had no idea. And I told him, I said, oh, I said, your dad came up last night at church. He said, really? I said, yeah. And so I got, to, you know, of course, he knows the story better than I do. But that's been, I mean, we were teenagers. So that's been 20 years ago or more since that transpired. He doesn't have back problems. What the surgeons couldn't do, a miracle did. I'm not, nothing against doctors. Not speaking against them. But what they couldn't do, God did in a moment. See, when God shows up, miracles can happen. There is a dimension of God that I don't know that we can even really fully comprehend. To what he can and will and is willing to do. And many times it's not about us doing or making or, or just create the atmosphere. Well, what's the atmosphere that creates miracles? Faith. 
in expectation, God, you're going to do something great today. God, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm excited to watch it. And it may not look anything like what you think. And you may not even be aware of it. I can tell you, the people that were in that service with that guy, Don, who had the... All they knew was that Brother Egan put his hand on him and he kind of slid down the chair a little bit. He laid there so long, they turned the light... Or they left a little bit of the lights on and locked the church. And everybody left. He was the only one there to testify of his actual own healing. Nobody has left. He's gone. So, and nobody in the service knew anything that had happened. But yet a miracle had happened right in their midst and none of us knew. Had no idea. There was no fanfare. There was no hurricane or what do you, like, uh, oh shoot, hurricane and jerkin. That's the word I'm looking at. I don't think that's, I don't think I'm saying that right. Yeah, that's the Greek. That's the Greek. What I mean by that, and look, and I'm not trying to be critical of anyone. But it is not necessary to have antics for a miracle to show up. There may be some antics sometimes. There's antics when I preach sometimes. It's okay. But it doesn't have to be that. It can be, but it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Many of the miracles I've seen that I watched with my own eyes happen, if I wasn't just standing right there watching it, I would have missed it. Been next row up, over here, over there. Have no idea. I mean, I don't want to go into details, but we have somebody in the church that here recently, the Lord touched them. And I won't go into all the details because it's private, but I mean, sitting at home, not even mindful of the Lord. And the Lord just instantly delivered. I mean, in a moment, I'll give you a little bit of the detail, but I won't say who. They were handling business in the bathroom and walked out of an addiction that was decades old. That just happened. Decades old addiction. Not a desire, not a craving one. So when I talk about miracles, what I'm talking about is not necessarily just in our midst here. I mean, yeah, I believe they'll happen in our midst. But I believe we'll create an atmosphere that even as people go about their day, all of a sudden the Lord's just going to, bam. Come on, people, and what's going to happen? They'll walk away different. They'll walk away changed. Why? Because the power of God is not confined to this building. And to be quite honest... I don't need the fanfare. Our church doesn't need the fanfare. All I care about is the result. And as long as God gets the glory, I'm good with that. I'm not trying to build a name. I'm pretty secure now. It's taken me a long time to become secure in who I am. But I don't need to be somebody. Amen. And I don't need our church to be something. Amen. Why? Because I already am somebody. The Bible says that I'm the son of God. Amen. You're the son. You're the daughter of God. You don't... 
So you've got to get over some of those mentalities. It's like, oh, well, we, you know, we don't want this. And, but it doesn't have to look the way it's, that we've perceived it or thought it always has to look. Well, at this moment in service, somebody's going you know, you know, pastor's going to get up and he's going to say, hey, the Lord has given me a word about da-da-da-da-da. And come down here and you're going to receive a miracle right now. That may happen. But that's not the only way it happens. God moves many ways. And God will move in a mighty way if we'll just trust him. My responsibility, your responsibility is not to make a miracle happen. Our responsibility is to come to set an atmosphere that God's presence would fall. And when God's presence falls, he does what he does. That's not on us. We can't make a miracle happen. You go to jail for those kind of things. You lie on the folks and tell them like, oh, I got healed. We've all heard them stories. <laughs> but yet when a real miracle happens, it's undeniable. This man's life was changed. Thousands of people's lives were changed in a moment because a single miracle happened. And it wasn't manufactured. It wasn't manipulated. No, God moves. Why? Because he's going to confirm his word. That's what Paul said. That we preach the word with signs and wonders following. How do you know if you're preaching the word? Because signs and wonders follow. Now let me read you a couple verses. I ain't got time to get to everything. I was going to share, so maybe we'll roll this into next week. But... Mark chapter 16, very familiar passage here, but it's the Great Commission here. And it says, Mark chapter 16, verse 15, says, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. It says, Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses um, to believe will be condemned. It says, These miraculous signs. Notice that word. See, so many times we leave that miraculous word out. We say, These signs will follow those who believe. But yet the Bible actually calls them miraculous signs. In other words, you could say it this way. That these miracles will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages, new tongues. They they will be able to handle snakes with safety. And if you drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt you. It says they will uh, be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. They will be healed. Why? Because it's miraculous. I mean, right now we've got the flu season going around, right? People are dealing with stuff. Well, you know, you can be delivered of that. And you're like, oh, well, that's just healing. The Bible called it miraculous. It says miraculous signs are going to follow what? When you lay hands on the sick, they're going to recover. I like what Brother Egan was talking about the other day. Sometimes you've got to lay hands on yourself. Nobody else is around to do it. You just got to, all right, Lord, I'm putting my hands on my own body. I got hands and I got a body. So, in the name of Jesus, whatever it may be. You know that song, heads, knees, toes, and or whatever it is? What is it? Oh, heads, shoulder, knees, and toes. <laughs> Maybe you need to do that in your prayer time. Just Let's just start up here and let's go all the way down. You know, in the name of Jesus, I can be well. These miraculous signs will follow. Verse 20 of Mark 16 says this, And the disciples went 
Or it says, uh, went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they said by many miraculous signs. Jesus said, these signs will follow, these miracles will follow those who believe. The disciples said, okay, and they went out and did it. It said that, and, and I think this is interesting too, I'm kind of a stickler on words, but it says that God confirmed His word with many miracles. Not a few here and there. Many miracles followed the disciples. Many miracles. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 15 is talking about communicating the gospel. Now, many of you will never preach like this. You'll never stand in front of a crowd. But yet, do you realize that you're declaring the good news of the gospel when you share your testimony with somebody? When you're telling somebody else what God has done in your life, what God means to you, when you begin to share your story, your story is the gospel with flesh. Because they may know the scriptures, they just don't believe it. But yet they know you and they can't deny what they see in you. Miracles can begin to happen. Blind eyes can begin to open, not just physically, but even spiritually. You start sharing your story. You start just telling people what God has done in your life. And all of a sudden, what? It's like scales falling off their eyes. And all of a sudden, they see something that they've never been able to perceive before. Simply because you are willing to share your story. So Paul talking about communicating the gospel to people. So don't just write it off and be like, well, I'm not a preacher. That doesn't work for me. It didn't say in, in Mark 16, these signs would follow all the preachers. It's not what it said. It didn't say these signs would follow church services. It says these signs will follow those who believe. So it goes, and so picking up here in Romans 15, verse, um, let me pick up verse 18. The apostle writes and says, I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me. Bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. Now that's interesting. I think I said Paul a second ago, but Luke actually wrote the book of Acts. He says there's two things required to really reach people with the gospel. He said, number one, you've got to have a message. And number two, you have to work among them. In other words, let me say it this way. Talk's cheap. Don't talk about a big God and live a small life. Amen. If I'm going to talk about how great God is, then I ought to act accordingly. I ought to live accordingly. He said that Christ worked through him. Bringing the message, the gospel to the Gentiles. And by the way I worked among them. In other words, let me say another. The way I lived among them. The way I conducted my life. So there's two facets. We need to preach the gospel, but it's got to be believable by the way we live. It says in verse 19, because of that. It says they were convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders by the spirit of God. It goes on and he says, and in this way, I f- have fully presented the good news of Christ from Jerusalem all the way to however in the world you want to say that. I don't know. How's that? Illicrium. All right. We're going to go with that one. Joey's right. 
Licorice. I like that one better. I like licorice. Now think about this. Luke says, he preached the gospel, he lived accordingly, and they became convinced by the power of miraculous signs and wonders by the Spirit of God. And he says that he had fully presented the good news. The good news of the gospel without power is not fully presenting the gospel. Communicating the gospel to people without the power of God and without signs and wonders is not fully preaching the gospel. It's a half gospel. The Lord will save you and the Lord will heal you. How do I I get that healing? I don't know. You're going to go find somebody else. You didn't give them the whole truth. You gave them half. You You may have communicated the gospel. But Luke here says that I have... Fully, in this way, I have fully presented the good news. He didn't just preach. He didn't just live right. He said the Lord worked through him with miraculous signs and wonders. And he says, because I've done that, I have fully preached the gospel. See, God will use anybody who's willing. To use God, you don't have to be perfect. Or to be used by God, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything together. You have to be willing. That's the key. Willing heart, willing hand. That's what it takes. God, I'm not perfect. That's why you sent Jesus for me. So I'm confident in that. I don't have to be perfect. Now, I want to live right and I want to live righteously. I want to live to the best of my ability in accordance to Scripture. Yes. Will I miss that mark? Yes. But does that mean I'm going to stay? No, I'm going to get up. And I'm going to start walking and doing what I know to do. Why? Because it's not, my life is not necessarily, let me say it. My life is not just about me. Your life is not just about you. God wants to use you and flow out of you that even miracles would have. Why? Because that's the God that you serve. You serve a God of the miraculous. Well, how can we say that if we don't display that? See, God wants to flow out of us. He wants to show forth His nature and His character and who He is through His people. The Bible says that God revealed Himself through Christ on the earth. Well, how is God going to reveal Himself in the earth today? Through us. Colossians uh, talks about, I believe it's Colossians 1, I think it's about verse 15, 16, 17, I believe. I may, I may be wrong on that, but I think it's Colossians where it talks about that Christ was the visible image of the invisible God. And now we're the visible image of the invisible God. Why? Because Christ isn't on the earth. He's seated on a throne in heaven. And so now God wants to work and to move through us. So part of my... Um, my hope and my desire over these next few weeks is this. Number one, I want to stir you up. I want to stir up your belief, not just for miracles in your own life, although I believe that's part of this, but also the fact that, hey, God could actually use me to do the miraculous. That God wants to use me to do the miraculous to the point that I'd even be shocked and say, did I just do that? Did that just happen? Yeah, but it was the Lord working through us. And when we're, when we're, and so in a way, I want to stir up your faith and your hunger to see it happen. To see God move 
in a way that, I mean, like many people are like, oh, well, I've prayed and I believe God. Man, you know, everybody talks about this great revival that's coming at the end. I mean, the Bible says that's true. Well, I know we're a lot closer than we've ever been. and I'm not predicting it in any shape or fashion, but at the same time, I'm like, there's a lot going on in the world that says, hey, we're... And there are some fixed dates that have already transpired that say, hey, that we're pretty close. Now, in my lifetime, I'm going to live every day <laughs> like it is my last. Because I don't know. I can't tell you. I mean, you know, I mean, just so that we're clear on this, I don't believe the Lord's coming back in the next year or two. I believe we have more time than that. But do we have a decade? Do we got 20? I don't know. I don't have a clue. But are there people to reach in the meantime? Is God giving us time to preach the gospel to lost people? Yes. The Bible actually says that God is not slack concerning his promise, but he is patient. Why? Because he's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. In other words, he's given us time to reach people, to touch people, so that people can actually come and understand who God is and what he desires to do in their lives. And we have the goods to do it. We're not lacking in anything, in any strength and in any ability. We have the power of God in us so that we can minister out to other people.